That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, you look good, you sound good. I think this is going to be an awesome episode because really how you look and how you sound, that's the most important thing in life, right? That's true. It's true. What's the lesson about skiing? It's not how you ski, it's how you're dressed. And uh, that, that's absolutely true. And so uh, I think it's going to be a great episode, too, all about insiders being outsiders and outsiders being in. And, um, you know, and uh, it's, yeah, so here we are. But before we jump into that, um, how are you doing, Aaron? Oh, speaking, of, speaking of outsiders becoming an insider. <laughs> That's right. Um, I am great. I just got back from a little quick vacation, like almost a little bit over 48 hours to Arkansas to visit some family in uh, Arkansas. I got to say, if you're a listener of Arkansas, you live in a beautiful state. I've mean, been there before, booming. but it just hits me every time uh, how much is going on. Uh, I love it. It gets a bad rap, but it's yeah, it's beautiful. Shout out to there. Bentonville. Shout out to Little Rock. Little Rock. Yeah, that's right. And I, I went and got ice cream at this little place in Little Rock and then had an advertisement for the, the Episcopal Cathedral down there and their summer chorister program. I was like, go team Episcopal. Well done. Wow. That's so great. There you go. Well, yeah. shout out Anyways. to uh, the cathedral there. So, yeah, um, Trinity Cathedral Little Rock where the rector, the founding rector of St. Albans went there to be the dean. And uh, I stopped in there at that cathedral one time and they said, oh, yeah, he's, he still haunts the place. So as a Christian, I don't know if I can support that worldview. But uh, but there's there's rumors down there at Trinity Cathedral Little Rock. I do. That we have we had rumors of that too. So at St George's, uh, so St George's was the historic low church, and there was a rumor that um, uh, whenever when they started putting candles on the holy table, because you know it used to be only flowers, uh, that yeah. the candles would blow out. <laughs> <laughs> Some low churchman would come up and just. It's all BS, but, uh, you know, the legend of the, the blowing out candles or something like that. And there's also a story that there was a little girl that haunted the place. So, from a fire, didn't get out, but that's also not true. Interesting. So, but... Um, well, this isn't a Halloween episode. This is a summertime episode. <laughs> yeah. So, let's get into it, where we're so, doing... This is uh, for um, Proper 15, uh, Sunday closest to August 17th. So, that's going to be... Um, uh, Sunday, August 20th. So hopefully you're getting ready to preach that. And uh, hopefully, regardless of where you are in terms of heat dome and wildfire smoke and whatever the case may be, um, you're still preaching the gospel. So let's get into it, Jake. We got readings from Isaiah 56, verse yep. 1, and then verses 6 through 8. We have Romans 11, 1 through 2, Alpha, and 29 through 32. So skipping a whole lot of Paul's argument. <laughs> And then Matthew 15, a lot, of, a lot of skipping around here. You could include verses 10 through 20, um, or you could just go for the real hot sauce, which is required, 
verses 21 through 28 of Matthew 15. So let's get into it mm-hmm. with the start of the Isaiah, Isaiah reading. Uh, Thus says the Lord, maintain justice, do what is right. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, um, they're great too. Uh, they can, it's for everybody. Uh, people come into the holy mountain and you have in this passage a verse which is on the, um, above the door of a lot of churches I've seen. Um, my huh. home church in St. Paul's, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, I'm pretty sure it says this. My house shall be house, shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So, mm-hmm. great word about gathering outcasts, etc. If one were to preach this passage, because you want to dodge that too hot to handle part of the gospel reading, uh, what would you say about Isaiah 56, 1 and verses 6 through 8? Well, I really... Um... I, I mean, and I think what would, uh, if you were going to preach on Isaiah, I think you could tie it into all of the other three readings, the, the the idea there at the end, yet will I gather others to him besides his own who are gathered, you know, verse 8. Um, and uh, this is where, you know, uh, the world of Isaiah's day um, and uh, the world of our day, just uh, think about all the kids that are having trouble on social media fitting in and uh but where others shun outcasts, the Lord God gathers them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what it's all about, is about um, this particular passage is all about how uh, uh, foreigners and eunuchs, and these are examples of outcasts, they are, uh, they are brought in. And so, and we are tempted so often, especially as Christians, you know, and we have this, the, we have this uh, real issue within Anglicanism globally and, uh, and locally, but we're tempted to define some groups of people as outcasts so that we might feel superior, you know, mm-hmm. depending on our theology and how perfect it is. And, uh, and uh, you know, and if you remember, if you look at the temple that has been destroyed, uh, the temple gave witness to the levels of, uh, of society and that with the lowly Gentiles on the outside. But the point here is that... Um, is that uh, God is the one who brings outcasts into the fold, and he's been doing it since the very, very beginning. Just take a look at Je- Jesus's genealogy. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, the women mentioned in that genealogy all were outcasts who have been brought in and uh, were actually, um, you know, responsible for bringing the Messiah into the world. So I think that that's the real theme, and I would use this particular passage of Isaiah to launch into Romans and then as the lens by which I understand the gospel reading. Uh, more on that in just a sec. But please, just a side note, if you're going to preach the gospel, don't preach it as if Jesus has some sort of moment of understanding. You know, uh, that that is not the case. Uh, he is uh, Yahweh incarnate, and he has been the God who's always been bringing outsiders and making them insiders, including you and me. Yeah, so I can't wait to get to that Matthew 15 passage now. But chomping mm, uh, at the bit, I know. But yeah, this Isaiah 56. It's, it says two things, which in certain corners of the mainline churches um, would sort of draw you like a moth to a flame if you were the kind of preacher that likes to talk about justice, because it does say maintain justice and do what is right, and then it starts talking about foreigners, and a lot of people. Um, rightly want to have conversations in the church about immigration policy and how we treat the foreigner. And there's tons of stuff in the scriptures about how one should treat foreigners. Um, But just note that that is not the point of this passage, and you would be bringing into it stuff that I think is not right there. There's tons of ways that we can talk about justice, and before you point your finger at anybody, you should always, as Jesus says, look back at yourself Mm -hmm. um, before you deal with the, the, the speck in other people's eyes, look at the plank at your own. So just and, and I would say the thing that is 
why this doesn't work as a passage to talk about immigration policy. One, everybody in your pews is probably not as worried about that. Um, uh, in in sort of as a, a direct way, um, they whether you, whether they are immigrants or not, a lot of people have come to church to hear about their you know how does the gospel apply to my uh, marriage, which is falling apart, my child who doesn't talk to me, or whatever the case may be. So just make sure you don't make it about big issues out there, or not at least primarily about that, and talk about what actually connects with people. And the reason why this passage, I think, is, again, back to my point, why it doesn't really fit, I think, if you want to talk about American immigration policy, and I live in Texas, and it's a big deal, and the DOJ is suing Abbott about this barrier in the river and all this stuff. But what it says here is foreigners who join themselves to the Lord you know, and he's basically talking about foreigners who come into Israel. They can, if they if they totally like assimilate, then we will accept them. Which is why it's you know a problematic passage to talk about immigration policy because um, you know you want people in the the U.S. to you know the whole like melting pot and salad bowl or whatever metaphor you want to use. Not everybody has to assimilate, but that's what this passage says. You got to um, keep the Sabbath. You got to hold the covenant. If you're a dude, you got to get circumcised, um, and you got to kind of join in the entire system of worship that exists in the in the um, nation of Israel. So that's what it's talking about. So it is people coming in, Akas, but it's sort of like coming in, and you got to do all the things. And I think if you, the way I think I would use this passage if we're talking about it is to say that it points us to the need for someone else, not the holy mountain uh, of Sinai, which is described here, but the holy mountain of Golgotha, the, mm. the, the place of the skull where Jesus is crucified. And the reason um, that the house of God is a house of prayer for all peoples is not because we all have to assimilate to the sacrificial system and offer sacrifices in the altars and keep the covenant and do all that stuff, but because Jesus has fulfilled the covenant. So make this about Jesus, an outcast coming in because of what he has done, not because of our alignment with a certain system of worship. Um, so I would, that's one thing I would, I would just, uh, I would talk about if I were preaching Mm. this passage. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, especially uh, when uh, we start using it to talk about, uh, you know, immigration policy or things like that. I mean, we miss, you begin to miss the real issue within yourself. Uh, There's a pastor named Dan White Jr. And uh, he uh, works for kind of a a church strategy uh, group called the Church's Movement. And uh, he did a survey recently, and it's really interesting uh, what he discovered was is that um, 70% of those, he writes, 70% of those who identified as progressives saw loving enemies as complicity with injustice, and 78% of those who identified as conservatives saw loving enemies as a compromise with immorality. And, uh, you know, uh, so as these uh, and what he says is that as these poll numbers grew and became, the, you know, the, the pattern really began to emerge, uh, his only thought was, uh, do you think we have a problem? And uh, and I do. I think, uh, you know, oftentimes when we use specifically this Old Testament passage to uh, preach about ourselves and preach about like policies or what we're doing, uh, we miss, like you said, the log in our own eye. We're, we're pointing out the speck and missing the log in our own eye. And really what this is, is a launch to, you should use this as a really a platform to convey the God who loves the and forgives and embraces the whole world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think the fact that um, um, Gentiles can come in, which, you know, <laughs> That's a the big other thing word. to read about this passage is that it's, we're the foreigners in this context. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so uh, the fact that they come in is because of the work of Christ. And so um, at least as we, as the church has understood it. So, so make sure you make it about that. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I, you know, every, gosh, any preacher that talks about maintaining justice and makes it about their select issues is probably ignoring a whole bunch of other blind spots she or he has um, mm-hmm. about other issues. So just, I think, tread carefully. I'm I'm someone who likes to talk about those issues in Sunday school so there can be a back and forth and not necessarily from the pulpit. But yeah, you know, same and maybe you disagree with that. Maybe that's a hot take that's going to get some angry letters. I look forward to those, and I will forward them to you, Jake. All yeah, right, so... Moving to Romans <laughs> 11, 1 through 2a, 29 through 32. Can um, I just say, this is just a lectionary travesty, that they have um, gutted this particular section of Paul's argument. Um, and uh, if you're really going to, if you want to flush this out and preach on this powerful passage, you have to incorporate uh, 2b. <laughs> Um, to, to be 28. three, four, five, six, seven, et cetera, all the way. <laughs> yeah, like to it's 28. So much I mean, it is, it is an important thing, but uh, this is a very, um, this is a very uh, important part of the book of Romans, uh, because what, remember Paul is writing to a church, and uh, the, the question that's being asked in this church is, well, did, did God reject Israel? You know, this is, this is the leg- a legitimate question that's being thrown around. And uh, and uh, it's serious business now that like, oh, the doors have been opened to the Gentiles. And what's going on here is that the Gentiles, you know, you have uh, you have the Smiths there in Rome and they're enjoying pork knuckle and all of this, their freedom in Christ. And they're looking at uh, they're looking at their uh, Jewish brothers and sisters with a little bit of contempt because they some of them are still obeying the law and have kept that as part of their the mosaic, some of the mosaic synagogue rituals as part of their piety. And uh, and uh, and so, and what Paul's main point here is that God has not rejected His people, Israel. This is the whole point. He has not rejected it because He is the God who keeps His promises. And uh, and uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the people, the the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, can bank on God's reliability. And uh, what Paul does here is he uses uh, three big arguments uh, in this particular section, all the way to verse six, but. For the sake of uh, the, um, the lectionary reading, he uses himself first as an Israelite. He's like, I'm not rejected. I'm here talking to you. And then the second is in verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And, uh, and uh, uh, as he told the prophet Amos, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. God chose them freely of his own. And so he never rejects that which he has chosen. And so uh, this is this is the big thing. And then if you really want to preach this, you've got to go through the rest of the section because the whole point is, uh, as a Christian, you, uh, you can't be haughty. Uh, you can't be haughty. You can't be arrogant and think that, you know, because it is by grace that you've been saved and not by works. And so the point here is, is that, um, is that uh, uh, at the end of the day, this is about... Uh, this is all about bringing about his Messiah so that the whole world might be saved. And that's the amazing thing. Or in other words, what Paul wants to get across here in chapter 11 is, remember you, Gentile, remember you, Jew, you're both creatures. And the point is, is that God has been faithful to Israel in order to save the world. You know, Jake, you just said uh, you can't be a Christian and be haughty, but I just want to be clear from many listeners, you can be a haughty 
and be a Christian. <laughs> well, as you as you point, which as, is good as your for life, you, Jake. as your life illustrates. Well, so, I don't know, but it'll be for you're you. You're a very attractive man, Aaron Zimmerman, well, especially in that you, gray thank suit. You. Thank you for my genetic material, mom and dad, um, and the Botox. Thank you, thank you, mm-hmm. God, for botulinum toxin. So the and um, Noom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Jake and I are both on the. It's, it's, it's a secret Noom group. I can't. We've already said too much. Yeah. But the uh, the thing that uh, this passage wants to get at that I think does preach is um, this last <clears throat> verse: "For God has imprisoned all in disobedience, so that He may be merciful to all." Um, and people might get a little like, "What do you mean, God has imprisoned me in disobedience? That's not fair." Well, you know, fairness doesn't really enter into this. And I think, you know, this is first century language to, to say a basic, to describe a basic reality um, that everybody needs help. And in Jesus, everybody gets help. That's no right. one, no one is in a different sort of situation or category of human being. This is that old Reformation understanding of, of um, uh, total depravity meaning that not everybody is totally depraved. That's not what the phrase means. It means that the brokenness in creation affects everybody and everything. There's not a corner of the world that's not impacted by it or any human who's immune to it. Um, People always talk about the church being full of hypocrites. I'm like, well, yes, but don't look at any other human organization, even the secular ones, um, because you might find they are full of hypocrites. I mean, Good Lord, the president of Stanford University just had to resign because of some ethical concerns, and I'm pretty sure that's a secular place. So nobody's like, ah, universities, I'm never going to one, they're full of hypocrites. Well, you know, anyways, my point here is that everybody is broken and in need, um, and that looks like disobedience to God, uh, And but God is, shows mercy to all. So that's kind of what, uh, you know, I would make this about um, – yeah, and, uh, and that's something we very we, we stress here on this particular podcast. It's very important. This is why preaching both the law and the gospel is important and making sure that they're properly distinguished. You don't get a bunch of gospel because when mm-hmm. you get a bunch of gospel, um, you uh, you uh, you leave people with the impression that, uh, oh, they can somehow do it themselves. You know, you're born morally neutral and somehow you weren't in you weren't born imprisoned into sin, you know, uh, but if you understand the law properly distinguished from the gospel, well, it kind of begins to make all, it begins to make sense, you know, and so uh, this is uh, this is why uh, what we do is very important because uh, what Paul is talking about is uh, these promises that have come to you and to me and to the whole world so that we might be saved. Yeah, so for any new listeners, gospel is a term coined by Jacob Smith to describe that action where one, or did somebody else come up with it? Uh, Somewhere, you know, but it's now, you know. You plagiarized it it, like Mm. the president of Stanford. Uh, The... um, uh, No, I think he did something, was it plagiarism? I think he falsified data or or selectively presented it. Anyways, gospel is this term that means you take the gospel, but you add the law back into it. So it's like, you're free, Jesus forgives you, great. Uh, but don't get crazy. You know, you still got to mm-hmm. like, just watch out. Yeah. So it sort of basically just uh, rescues the the law from the jaws of the gospel at the last minute and puts people back under a burden again. And yeah, yeah that's what you got to avoid. All right. So Matthew 15, we have this optional section at the beginning, verses 10 through 20, and then 21 through 28. And verses 10 through 20, if you include that, I think that is exceedingly preachable. It is about it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out of the mouth. And he says that whatever goes into the mouth 
goes into the stomach and then goes into the septic tank. Uh, but everything that, but what, what really makes you unclean is what comes out of the heart. Uh, and this is low anthropology ground zero basically says that the human beings are not born some pure, innocent thing, but it is baked in from the very beginning. You didn't have to teach your toddler how to lie and manipulate. They figured that out on their own. Um, that stuff comes out of the human heart, uh, rage, slander, all this stuff. Uh, it, it, you know, so this, this is lower anthropology. If you want to teach it, it's in here. Um, and, uh, it's something that doesn't get fixed by just trying to fix it. It has to be fixed by the work of God through the Holy Spirit. So, and you read this and so many first... Christians are focused on the outside. Let's yeah. clean the outside of the cup. Inside, it's full of all kinds of rotten stuff. So many, so so many of our colleagues do that. I mean, you know, they're they're going to preach on, you know, uh, you know, uh, immigration reform and uh, and outside stuff right after they've they've prayed the collect of purity. Yeah, uh, I want to understand what the collect of purity is all about. Take a look at verses chapter 15, verses 10 and, through 20. Like, to you, all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Yep. So you ask God to cleanse the thoughts of your heart and mind. Again, it, look, look at the inside and clean that. It's this recognition of, of yeah. what Jesus says here in Matthew 15. Like the inside needs to be cleaned, and we can't do it ourselves. And any attempt to, as you said, to preach any sort of clean the outside of the cup sort of sermon, you know, start reading the Bible more, start going to church more, throw out your Grateful Dead albums, uh, get rid of your tattoos, or the, the that's sort of the, the social conservative version. The, the progressive version would be all the other things you got to do um, in terms of uh, what political stuff you have to protest or who you have to watch and not don't watch these guys, watch these guys, whatever, whatever the, the purity test is on the right or the left, both of those things are outside focused things. But what's on the inside? Um, yeah. and, and this is uh, what, this yeah. is how and this is what Matthew is doing in this particular and why actually if you're going to preach on the Canaanite woman, you need ten through twenty because who is Matthew speaking to in ten through twenty? Take a look, everybody, very closely. He is speaking about the Pharisees. Yeah, uh, he's speaking right. about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the ones who said, "What like like a lot of Christian ministers today? We have a lot of Pharisees in in the church today, both both the left and the right. They typically call themselves mature Christians, and um, and uh, and what they think is is that what they do defines them." And, uh, and Jesus is saying, no, sir, it is not about what you do that defines you. It's what comes forth from this new and converted heart. And so now with that as your lens and with the Pharisees who are busy doing everything, trying to define themselves, you have someone who comes to Jesus with, uh, with nothing on the scale. You know what I mean? Or if it is, it's the deck is stacked against her. She is a woman from, uh, she's a Canaanite. She is a woman. Uh, you know what I mean? The, the, entire, the entire world is stacked against her. And uh, she comes to Jesus because uh, she is beginning to realize that nothing she does is um, of, of any help. As a matter of fact, she's reached a place where her daughter is tormented by a supernatural power, by a demon, and she can't do anything about it. She has come to the end of her rope, and that is where uh, she encounters Jesus. And at first glance, if you don't read this with the understanding of 10 through 20, this appears to be a merciless moment. 
uh, you know, Jesus is just kind of stone cold Steve Austin to this poor woman. Hmm. And uh, but this is why you have to read 10 through 20 closely and you have to read this text closely in order to understand uh, that. And, and please, God, in the name of Jesus, do not talk about Jesus discovering something about himself. If you do that, uh, your preaching tippets and your tabs should just fall right off. Uh, yeah. You know, um, that is and, wrong. And for anybody who doesn't know what Jake's talking about, there, it is a common thing, sort of a cliche in certain circles to preach this passage like Jesus. Jesus was kind of, if not a racist, a little bit prejudiced, a little, little biased about Phoenician women and Canaanites in general. And and here he realizes, this is, this is the scales falling from Jesus' eyes, like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. Canaanites are okay too. Now I see. And, and that is clearly not what's going on in this passage, yeah. since Jesus is the creator of all things, kind of knows that all no, human beings are but, beloved creatures of God. And anyways. So, but Jesus right here in this moment, I mean, this woman comes in and uh, he's about to let the olives sit and the hummus get real cold because he's going to teach the disciples and all of us about what faith actually, actually looks like. And you have to understand how this woman approaches Jesus. She doesn't say, hey, dude, you know, hey, man, I'll need a favor. You know, no, mm-hmm. she says, she, you know, she says, hey, I, you know, she's not like, hey, guy, I know you've done some amazing things and you're an all around wonderful entertainer. No, she cries out, son of David. This is the Jewish term for the Messiah. Have yeah. mercy on me and heal my demon possessed daughter. You know, and uh, in Jesus's day, this woman, like there is no mercy. There is no mercy here. And so, um, and this is what's happening. So when you realize, like, so this is why you can't preach gospel either. This is where you have to properly distinguish between the law and the gospel because Jesus upholds the law. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You remember Mm -hmm. he told the disciples when they were first sent, only go to the tribes of Israel. Uh, But Matthew writes, she cries out, which in the Greek, uh, what that means is, is that she like worships him. She worships him, even in the rejection, she worships him and says, Lord, help me. Uh, but it, the, the, the word actually would be more in line with what we read a couple of weeks ago with Peter walking on water. She, says, she screams out actually, Lord, save me. And mm-hmm. this is where you begin to understand everything. Um, she is appealing to the God that Isaiah saw, who's going to come in flesh and not just save Israel, but save the whole world. She is appealing to the God who Paul writes about here in Romans, who's talking about, um, is God faithful to his promise? You bet he's faithful to the God because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's faithful mm-hmm. to uh, these people at the dinner table. And he's faithful uh, to uh, this woman here uh, screaming and begging to be saved. Now, if you have a high anthropology, that's a little offensive that we'd have to scream out to God to be saved. But really, that is a that is a true prayer that you see happening right here. And, you know, gosh, if I I, I don't know a person who hasn't reached a point in their life where they're where they're not crying out for help Mm -hmm. uh, to God. Uh, If you've never done that, um, gosh, I don't know. I want to live where you live. But um, uh, yeah, this is um, Jesus also giving voice to what would have been the common attitude of everybody around him. I mean, the disciples make that clear because they say, Jesus, send her away. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. He It says he doesn't answer her at all. He doesn't send her away. No, he just doesn't answer her. It's this really interesting thing. It almost invites the disciples to reveal their cards, like, send this one away. We want to help her. Just like the disciples mm-hmm. want to like call fire down on villages that don't accept Jesus. You know, it reveals their hearts. 
and then Jesus gives voice to what the disciples absolutely would have agreed with. Like, I can't, I can't give the children's food to the dogs. The disciples would have been like looking on approvingly. Like, yes, that's right. Even though he has just said, it's not the outside that matters. It's not her Canaanite identity that matters. It's, um, and, and so then he gets to do what, what, when she shows this incredible faith and humility, he does what he's wanted to do all along, which is to, to just, um, with a word, heal her daughter and answer her request. And she's mm-hmm. praised for having great faith. And this is just one of those other examples in the Gospels when, you know, she, the story of the, the prodigal son, the story of the the, um, the Samaritan who takes care of the beaten up man. All these stories are about outsiders coming in. And the thing about that is we are all outsiders. And in our prayer book, we make this clear with the prayer of humble access, which is based on this exchange, um, Lord, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy, which is what we see here. So do right yeah. one when you preach this passage and, uh, and have mm-hmm. people realize that this is, a, this is a, a showing the good news of God's grace. Yeah, and, you know, and in light of uh, verses 10 through 20, the earlier verses, uh, you know, you begin to realize that this lesson— uh, uh, this le- Jesus and this woman, actually, um, they're training us and the disciples in this moment of like what faith actually, actually looks like. You know, in a merciless world uh, where there are insiders and outsiders, living faith in this age, uh, it takes the shape of a desperate Canaanite woman. And yeah. uh, a, a woman who uh, doggedly, if you will, pursues the gospel hunt, hidden under what seems to be Jesus' rejection. And, uh, you know, and that's what's happening is that Jesus is teaching the disciples and all of us to hang on to his word and his promises and trust him and not our feelings or even how God, you know, trust or even how God seems to be treating us in the moment. Uh, The faith that God has given you by the power of his Holy Spirit, here's a yes buried inside the Lord's no. And, uh, and that, because every answer is yes in Jesus Christ. And faith won't let Jesus go. Uh, you know, uh, faith upholds and lifts the law like Jesus is doing, but it also clings uh, to the gospel and uh, knows that um, uh, in Jesus all things will be made right. Yeah. And, of course, uh, one of the things, another way of saying that is that Jesus takes children's like all he does sort of his ministry is throw the children's food to dogs because mm-hmm. you know that's that's who we are he does it with the roman centurion um he just he, it happens in the book of acts with the you know ethiopian eunuch just like over and over uh you know basically we all are as i said at the beginning like we're all broken and in need and we all receive mercy that's the that's yeah. the story from beginning and, to end. and the beautiful thing about faith and uh, when god gives you faith and you realize that he's faithful to his promises no matter what's going on in your life, you realize you're not a dog, uh, but rather you are a child of the living God. And he doesn't just give you scraps from the table, but rather from the table, Sunday after Sunday, he gives you the bread that is his body and the wine that is his blood to assure you of his presence and his faithfulness to you, despite what you may be seeing or experiencing in your life. Mm. Yeah. So, and if you're in a liturgical slash sacramental church, you are invited to that banqueting table every Sunday, um, uh, not eating the crumbs, but uh, eating the, um, yeah. the, well, I don't know if you're a dark meat or white person, white meat person, <laughs> but whatever you want on that turkey with the stuffing and the cranberry, you, you got it all. You got access Absolutely. to it all. Absolutely. All right. right. Well, that'll do it.
and uh, we'll see you next week. Happy preaching, everyone. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.